0: The following program is sponsored by The National Prayer Chapel Choose this day Whom you yourself, or oh, the Lord. Give Him your heart, His call you've heard. Give it all to the Lord. Choose this day Call you've heard give it all to the Lord his steadfast love. Give it all to the Lord. Today's sermon is prerecorded. Two altars. The Lord, Lord Jesus... I cry to you today like blind Bartimaeus. I need to see. Son of David, have mercy upon me. Son of David, have mercy upon the National Prayer Chapel. Son of David, have mercy on Washington, D.C. and upon America. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. I can't come and stand before you to speak the word of the Lord and not be very blunt and say to you that we have become accustomed to the culture of America continuing, day by day, continuing. We can listen to the news, we can watch the television, Everything continues as normal. We're coming to a point very shortly where all normalcy is going to end in America. We're coming to the last day. We're coming to the crisis of the end time. It is upon us. We're not speaking here about children who are going to live to see Jesus come. We're speaking about us today being at the very hour when the last dramatic events will begin to unfold that will usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's only one place of safety, and his name is Jesus. Do you know how to go to Jesus for your food? Do you know how to go to Jesus for your money? Do you need to, do you understand how to go into the presence of God and have him answer your cry for your children, for your very life? If you don't, you're not going to make it through what's coming. If you think you can look at Social Security and there is security, you have misunderstood what's happening in America. America is on the verge of bankruptcy. Our economic system is not going to continue as it is now. I don't say these things to frighten you, but I say that that if I say this to you now, as it happens, you're not going to come back to me and say, Pastor, why didn't you speak this? What are you going to do with your money? How are you going to survive? How will you pay your house mortgage? How will you pay for your food? How will you cover your basic necessities? Many of you will lose your jobs. What are you going to do? The scripture says if you get tired running with men, how are you going to run with the horses? There is nothing that you have experienced to this point that can even begin to compare with the trauma that is about to come upon America and upon our lives. We're at the end time. Now there's only one reason why fear should rise up in our hearts. And that is if there's sin in our hearts if we're washed by the blood and we're clean before Jesus, then the scriptures say, lift up your eyes, lift up your head and rejoice for the hour of your deliverance has come. I mean, what would you think today would happen if one of these prosperity preachers would land in his jet airplane in the Sudan and get out and go to a village where they have nothing and begin to tell them about how they could be financially prosperous. And that Jesus wants them to to have a Cadillac. I mean, what response would they get from those people in the Sudan who daily are dying for the cross of Jesus Christ? You see, we have it so fat and so happy, but there are many parts of the world where they don't have it that way. Just this last week in India, 30-some people, tragically dealt with by Hindus. Bitterness and anger in the Muslim community against those who would call themselves Christians. I mean, what would happen today if you were forced into a line and when you came up to the officer, he said, Are you willing to die for your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, go to the right. If you're not willing to die and you're willing to compromise a bit so that we can all get along together, go to the left. Which way would you go? Would a husband choose one way and a a wife another way? How are you going to stand? We're at the end. And there's only one place of safety, and that's in Jesus Christ. Already we've seen the blow of 9 11. That was minor compared to the next blow that's coming when we will see thousands who will lose their lives. And after that, there will be a final blow and America will no longer exist as we understand it or know it. What are you going to do? How will you walk this out? Will you side with those who compromise, who complain, who murmur? Or will you be rejoicing? knowing that your life is hidden in Jesus Christ. And you're not going to back off one inch. I mean, do you understand, in the scriptures, Babylon, at the end of time, is that nation that buys everybody's goods, Walmart for this Christmas. Over $80 billion worth of orders to China. Just for a Walmart Christmas. America is the largest consumer nation in the world. And the largest debtor nation in the world. America has said We deserve to have it, and we're going to have it one way or another. So we live in our comfort. We live in our wonderful, wonderful blessing of Almighty God. I tell you today, every blessing of America has come from the hand of the Lord. It's come because of the way we've treated Jewish people. It's come because of our protection and our provision for the poor in the world. It's come because we have been a people who stood faithful in the Lord Jesus. But as the immigrants have come into our nation, from every other place, they have not found a strong faith in Jesus Christ They have found a nation whose very values have been eaten away by the termites. And so they bring in their own gods. They bring in their own way of worship. And America joins with them in their way of worship with their false gods. Does this sound familiar? Time after time in the scriptures, this happened to the Jewish people. So today with the foundations destroyed, with a nation sold to darkness, murdering our babies, prostituting our children. The blessing of God has been removed. And we face judgment. Now you can go out of this house and you can pretend that this doesn't exist and you can go right ahead with your American style but soon there will be no longer an American style. Even as we speak, the dollar is crashing. It's in free fall. Do you understand what that means? It means that the dollar will soon no longer be the standard for the world. Russia's on the verge of dumping all of its dollars China is also considering doing the same. The Asian nations are considering the same. Interest rates will then have to be raised in order to attract enough foreign cash to pay for our debt as a nation. As interest rates rise, people who bought homes on adjustable mortgages we'll see their mortgage rates accelerating. Now you say 7% is not very bad. No, it's not. I bought a house one time for 12.5%. But I figured that 12.5% interest into the home I bought so that I could afford to pay the 12.5%. What happens if you're locked in and one half of mortgages in America today are adjustable rate mortgages? And so what happens if you have no leverage and you have no ability to pay that extra 2000 or $3,000 a month on a mortgage payment? Suddenly bankruptcies are going to skyrocket. Property values are going to begin to crash. And we're going to begin to see an end to the economic dream how do we begin to consider these things and look at them in the light of Scripture? There was another time a man of God looked out on a prosperous nation. He saw the dry rot of, of sin throughout his entire nation, especially in the leadership as they led the people of God into sin. Every trace of his presence was being removed from the culture. And all he could do was fall on his face and begin to pray. But he didn't just pray for revival. He prayed that it would stop raining And it was an agrarian culture. And if the rain stopped, the good times stopped. So the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and tells him, go to the king. I've heard your prayer. Stop the rain. It won't rain again until your word is given to the king that rain should begin again. It's over. Elijah shows up before... Ahab, the king of Israel, it's not going to rain again until I give the word. And then he hides. Ahab sends messengers to every country in the then known world, searching for him. Where is he to be found? First at the brook, and then it ran dry. And then he's moved on to the widow of Zarephath. Which happens to be the home country of Jezebel. He never thought to look in Jezebel's backyard. It was not God's idea to have the rain stop, it was Elijah's idea. You don't find that in this passage of scripture in in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Now, you find that in the New Testament, in the book of James. What we're told is that we're men like Elijah. And we have the right to go before God and begin to ask God to do things to wake up America. We have the right to go into the throne room of God and ask him to bring judgment unto repentance. What do you think the two last prophets are going to do when they stand in Jerusalem and they preach? The Lord says they are going to be free to strike the earth with all kinds of plagues in order to try to bring them to repentance. So it means we've got to come to a clear separation of ourselves from the culture of America so that we can get enough distance to know how to begin to pray for judgment unto repentance in our families and in our communities and in our nation. It means we cannot be absorbing all of our time and energy with a life of Rebellion against God. Some of you are spending so much time in the struggle with sin that you have no time to deal with sin. God doesn't want us spending our time dealing with the sin of our own life. He wants that work finished, He wants it over, He wants it done. He wants us to deal with the sin in the community but we can't deal with the sin in the community. We can't pray for judgment in the community if we haven't first been dealt with in our own sin. So Elijah proposes to Ahab the great contest. He says, let's go to Mount Carmel and let's have two altars. Now the issue we have to look at today is which altar are we bowing at? We're told in 1 Kings, First Kings, the 18th chapter. So Ahab, verse 20, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So now we have two altars. Now, please follow me. There is the altar of God, It is small and not imposing in the least. And there is the altar of Baal, huge, imposing, 400 prophets dancing around it, expecting fire to fall. Now what have they put on this altar? They've put a sacrifice, an atonement. All atonement does not bring answer to prayer. Atonement on the altar of Baal is left unanswered. Now what I want you to to begin to ask yourself with me now is, why didn't the fire of God fall on the altar of Baal? The sacrifice of atonement is on the altar. The pleas and the intense desire for an answer are all present. So, why doesn't God just send fire down on Baal's altar? Because it's Baal's altar. It's Baal's altar. So then I had to begin asking, Lord, what's Baal's altar? Because you see, if I go to the altar and I'm getting no answers, is it possible I'm at Baal's altar? The sacrifice is there, the intensity of desire is there. Oh God, please, I need to have the fullness of your Holy Spirit in my life. Is the answer? Tears begin to whip myself. I'm such a bad person. I never can do anything right. Oh, God, you've got to have mercy on me. Let's see if I can get some more blood coming. No answer. Why no answer? The blood's there. The sacrifice is there the wood's there, the altar's there, my honest desire is there, my prayers are there. Why is there no answer? It's Baal's altar. Baal's altar is always identified by one very simple test. Baal's altar is always identified by self-desire. Jesus, I need you to come and bless me. I need you to come and answer my prayers. I need you to come and give me the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I need this Jesus. I need it. I want it. I desire it. Baal's altar is always about, I want my desire. It's always about me, and how I feel, and what I think. It can be as simple as, look God, I need money. I need money. I'll beat myself as long as I need to if you'll give me money. I'll tell you how bad I am. I mean, I'll do anything if you'll just give me money. Or love. Or acceptance. Salvation. God, I'll do anything if you'll just give me eternal life. What I want, Jesus, is to live forever. By the way, Jesus, I want a nice house over there, too. I want the streets of gold, and I want a little respect over there. It's about what I want. Baal's altar is always about what I want. It can be religious or it can be totally non-religious. But it's always about what I want. It always has to fit into my schedule. I talk with someone and they say, or I say to them, will I see you tomorrow? Oh, no, pastor. I had this shower I have to go to tomorrow. Oh, God didn't fit into your schedule tomorrow. Now, pastor. now God didn't fit into your schedule. I can't tell you how many times I've said to somebody, are you willing to commit your way to Jesus Christ even when it doesn't fit in your schedule? I'll say to some people who come to the National Prayer Chapel, how much longer do you want to visit the National Prayer Chapel? And they look at me. I say, yes, you're a wonderful visitor and we love you. But you are a visitor, you know that. Because you come when it's convenient. When something else is on the schedule, that's first. You come when it's convenient. See, this Baal altar is all about convenience. No sacrifice. No sacrifice of time or money. No sacrifice of pleasure. No sacrifice of love. No sacrifice of contentment. Baal's altar is about beating myself up until you take pity on me and give me what I want. bail Alter altar requires that you be an incredible victim. Incredible victim. I mean, look how bad my boss treats me. Look how bad my family treats me. If I just had a little respect for my kids. Look how bad it is. Look how bad life is. You no know, God, all I need you to do is improve my life a little bit now, to understand Baal's altar is where most of the body of Christ worships today and there is no answer and so because there's no answer we've got to get some entertainment going I mean you can't have just emptiness you if God's voice is not going to come, then we better strike up the band. We better have something going so that at least you can come for the magic tricks. Now, the latest strategy in seeker-sensitive church is to have committees meet with the pastor to plan the sermons. Because they want to ensure that the sermon is not offensive and is all-inclusive. I can tell you today I did not get this word in a committee. I got it on my knees before God. It's not very politically correct. So here is this grand display of religiosity And there is no fire. There is no answer. And the Baal altar always says, okay, if there's no answer, come back and beat yourself up some more. Because rather would I beat myself up than die. I mean, let me talk about how tough it is and how bad it is. I mean, I had to walk 10 miles when I was a kid going to school. And it was cold. Three feet of snow on the ground. Right? This is Baal's altar. Now, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, come come close to me. How do you tell a million people come close to me? I don't know. But then he took 12 stones. 12 stones, 4, 8, 12. That means the altar was probably only about that high, if that high. Nothing imposing about it. Dug a trench around it, a deep trench, had water, poured over the sacrifice and over the stones and filled and soaked the earth. They wanted no chance here for any mistake about what was about to take place. And he then begins to pray. I want to read the prayer for you. O Lord, verse thirty-six. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the soil. It also licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Revival has started. This altar, small and unimposing, this altar soaking wet, It was not about Elijah. It wasn't about what he felt or what he thought. It was about God. And God sent his fire. If you want the fire of God to fall in your life, and if we want the fire of God to fall in this church, We're going to have to stop cheating, lying. We're going to have to stop the anger and the bitterness. We're going to have to let go of the self-righteousness and the judgment. We're going to have to walk upright and clean before Almighty God and come to this altar and let Jesus cover us. And he will. He will cover us. There's no self-condemnation here. There's no, I wish I would have, or if I could have, I would have. There's no, I'll do a better job next time. There's just, Lord, here I am. Now, the New Testament takes it a step further. It says that you actually get on that altar. Because when the fire of God comes, you want the fire. The fire of God only comes on the altar. If the fire of God comes anywhere else, it comes anywhere to destroy and to kill. Nowhere in the scriptures does the fire of God come for healing except on the altar. When the sons of Aaron went into the presence of God with strange fire, probably because they were drunk, fire came out from God, but it didn't come on the altar. It struck them in their sin and they died. So if we want the fire of God in the National Prayer Chapel, if we want the fire of God in our lives, we're going to have to lay down on this altar a burnt offering. Now that raises the issue that we're trying to deal with today, these two altars. Because you see, I have some other altars that I've become very accustomed to laying down on. I've not ever just stood at Baal's altar. I always climb up on his altar too. And I offer my life on that altar. What do I mean? Offer my life at work. What's most important is that I get a paycheck. It's more important than reading the scriptures More important than praying, more important than anything. I've got to be out the door. I've got to be there on time. I've got to have a smile on my face because I've got money to make. Lay on that altar of of the job. You can identify some other altars that you've been climbing on. How many times have you climbed on the altar of, if I have to do this to be loved, then I'm going to do it. Because what's most important is that I keep the peace and everybody loves me. So if I have to climb up on that altar, Lord, forgive me. But you understand why I can't be over there on Elijah's altar. I've got to be on Baal's altar. Never mind that no fire is going to come on Baal's altar. Oh, do you know how much time you can spend in Bible study on Baal's altar? getting all the information. I heard a sermon at Bales Alder this morning. I won't tell you who preached it. But it was a full sermon describing in detail the psychological process to not be in fear. The only problem was the pastor who presented it never was willing to say, what you have to do to deal with fear is just go ahead and die out. He was preaching over here at Baal's altar. Self-help. Just try harder. Here here are some tips for how you can try harder. That's Baal's altar. I loved Brother Kurt's answer to his daughter Cecilia when the when the presence of God is draining away from your life, it's always for the same reason. It's because there is known sin in your life. And that sin has to be confessed. It has to be brought to this altar. Elijah's altar. Now, let's walk just a bit more into the story. Notice... The people are on their face. Revival has come. The presence of God is there. The fire of God is in the house. Elijah then seized the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them taken down to the Cushon Valley and slaughtered there. Always when the fire of God comes, the prophets of Baal have to be executed. Elisha said to Ahab, go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. There was no sound of heavy rain. He was listening to the sound of heavy rain in his spirit. In his spirit there was the sound of heavy rain. Do you hear the sound of heavy rain today in your spirit? When you listen to the Spirit of God, what is he saying to you? Ahab said, okay, come on, let's have the picnic. He's happy to go have a picnic. But wait a minute, I thought there was a revival. There's a revival, Pastor, but let's have a picnic. We're hungry. And off he goes to have his picnic. But what does Elijah do? He climbs up higher. When revival comes, when the fire of God comes, the fire of God is always put out and revival ends quickly when everybody says, oh, now revival's here, let's have a picnic. Let's sell T-shirts. Let's sell videos. Hey, let's celebrate God's come among us. Let's sell CDs. Because now the power of God's here, let's have a picnic. But Elijah said, when revival comes, Climb up the mountain higher and get on your face before God. Wait a minute, I thought fire was there. If fire was there, why does he need to get on his face? Why does he need to pray anymore? He's got revival. Isn't that what we want? No. We want the rain. Because it's not the fire that brings the crop. It's the rain understand. We've got to have the reign of the Holy Spirit. The signs and the manifestations are wonderful and we'll rejoice with all the signs that God will give us. But what we desperately need is the reign of the Holy Ghost that will saturate the dryness of the heart and melt down the sinner so that there's a a weeping before God. There's no record here that when the fire fell, anybody began to weep. Why should they weep? They're seeing a show. Oh, when the rain comes, they'll be weeping in the house. Lord, Lord God, I ask for the fire. But Lord, every time I ask for the fire, you say come up higher, Ray. Come up higher. And pray. Lord, would you give me the words to speak? Thank you, Jesus. How do you understand? Elijah prays. And then he goes to look to see if his prayer was answered. His prayer was not answered. He did not say, I have faith to believe that my prayer is answered. I'm just going to wait on God now. No, he went back. And he got on his face and he prayed again. And then he sent the young man out to look over the sea to see if the rain was coming. There was no rain. He did not say, I stand by faith that my prayer will be answered. Instead, he got back on his face and began to plead with God. I'm tired of this cop-out that says, we've prayed. And now we just stand by faith. None of us in this place have deserved the right to simply stand by faith. We're too immature. We haven't walked deeply enough into the Spirit to know when God has said it's done. Elijah prayed seven times, and he didn't stop praying until he saw that small cloud rising up out of the ocean. And at that point, he said, now, run, tell Ahab, get ready to get out. The rain's going to come, and he better get there before the rain. But he couldn't. Quickly, the clouds swirled. The darkness came. The rain began to beat. And because he felt responsible in the power of the Lord, he ran 40 miles ahead of that chariot. Can you imagine Ahab whipping his horses, trying to catch this prophet running? Ahead had him, and the horse can't catch him. How long would Elijah have had to wait for the rain had he prayed one time and went on about his business? How long would he have had to wait? How long are you all willing to wait? I'm hearing two things for the National Prayer Chapel. One Every one of us have to search our hearts and make certain that we are not bowing at Baal's altar. That there is nothing in this for us. That we are being selfless and crying out to the Lord and saying, Jesus, would you please be honored? Would you be glorified? The Lord's prayer does not begin with, O Lord, exonerate me. It begins with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've got to look carefully. If there is no fire response, make certain that we are not bowing at Baal's altar. And secondly, we have to pray and continue to pray without ceasing crying out to the Lord for His fire, for His reign. But the altar has to be also built. And the building of the altar is what we've been doing in this church getting right before God, repenting of our sins, turning aside from darkness, cutting off those things that so seduce our hearts, cutting them off, cutting off even people that seduce our hearts. Walking with gentleness and with love, with mercy, coming to a place where we know that now our whole focus is going to have to be not on what we need and not on what we want, but seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all these other things will be given to us as well. Seeking the kingdom of God, crying aloud, staying on our face, pleading with him, oh God, have mercy on America. Bring judgment under repentance Don't allow us to continue down this road of destruction. When Elijah came down the mountainside, the revival was over. There was no conviction of sin in Jezebel's heart, there was only a reestablishment of the old ways. I do not want that kind of revival in America. I recognize that God has called each of you here, and he's assigned you a place at the National Prayer Chapel. He's called you to deal with every area of known sin. He wants a people, regardless of how small, to be washed in the blood, to be clean before him, no longer walking in our own way, but walking in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants a people who will not play games with him, a people who will not be self-centered, a people who will not be only concerned about what they're going to get out of the deal, but a people who are willing to lay it on the altar and who are willing to climb on the altar. Now, you recognize that as you've walked more and more deeply into the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's in total opposition to the cultural American church. It is in total agreement with the church in the Sudan, with the church in China, with the church in India, other parts of the world where persecution is rampant. They're walking this way. They're talking with friends. They're secretly slipping them Christian literature. They're confronting them with their sins. They're saying, come and walk with me. Come and be a Christian with me, knowing that that very act could cost them their lives. While we in America are concerned about our job and our our this and our that, the lord is calling for a people here at the national prayer chapel who will recognize that difference and who will begin to hear in their spirits the reign of the holy ghost and because you hear it in your spirit you will pray for it for america you'll cry aloud to the lord you won't stop until your prayer is answered. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. From falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.